This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is 321. The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. A pleasure and honor, as always, to have you here with me. Very much appreciate getting to hang out with you at our usual time. Uh, so we are in the absolute pitch, uh, pitch, fever pitch, height, uh, the most intense period, really, of the entire election season in the next couple of weeks, which means we've got a little bit of election stuff to talk about. I know, I know. We all wish it was just I wish they could vote tomorrow and we would just then know what the reality we face uh, is. Um, but we won't know for whatever it is now. Less less than two weeks, less than two weeks. We've got a couple of weeks left here, everybody. Just just hold hang on tight. Hang on to your butts. I'm pretty sure that's what Samuel Jackson says in Jurassic Park when they turn off the power. Is that right, John? That sounds right to me. Um I, I watched a little bit of, of Deep Blue Sea over the weekend because I was just, I wanted to watch something. Was it over the weekend or maybe it was last week? I wanted to watch something where your brain can just completely turn off for a while. And Deep Blue Sea, I put that in the movies that are terrible but very watchable category. Uh, and Samuel L. Jackson has a great scene in that one too where he's giving quite a speech. I don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen it. It's free on Netflix if those of you who have Netflix. I feel like Netflix is a great deal, by the way. I'm not like, I, you know, I wish I was sponsored by Netflix. I'm not. Uh, but just putting that out there, I was thinking about the other day. There's so much, so much stuff uh, that you can get on it. So yeah, Deep Blue Sea is about genetically engineered sharks that are like super smart sharks, and yeah, there's that. Um, I also remember there was a, a comedian that I saw a few times. I think his name was I, I saw not in person, but which I'd like to do again. By the way, it's been a while since I've been to see a live comedy show. I think his name is Jaselnik. And that's right. His name is Jaselnik, and he does very sort of dark shock comedy. And uh, as I was watching Deep Blue Sea, I thought, isn't this, uh, wasn't there a guy who made a show called Shark Party where they celebrated a shark that had eaten somebody? I believe it was in Australia. And then this guy got death threats and they shut down his show because that wasn't funny. Uh, he definitely took it too far. But yeah, he had a shark party for a shark that ate somebody because he said that we finally, they finally got one. We're evening, the sharks are evening out the score. Deep Blue Sea, 
recommend it. Okay, now we got to talk election. Do not recommend Shark Party. That was a bad idea, um, and and very uh, unfeeling and, and unkind. The Deep Blue Sea is worth checking out. All right, so what's the latest? With the, some fun things. We can talk about some fun things with the election first before we get into the reality of what is coming. Uh, first of all, and this this is from my colleagues on the on the blaze dot com. Trump's campaign has spent more money on hats than on internal polling. According to the FEC, uh, Donald Trump's presidential campaign spent $1.8 million on internal polling uh, between June 2014, uh, 2015 and September, compared to $3.2 million it spent on the businessman's signature Make America Great Again hats. <laughs> the hats, look, whether you like Trump or not, we just all, the hats are kind of awesome, all right? The fact that this presidential candidate is basically like an advertisement for the for his own swag, for the gear that he's selling. You can't make this stuff up. And if if Make America Great Again was just a meme that had nothing to do with Trump, I think that this would be a multi-million dollar business just selling these hats and T-shirts and such. This is it's it's great. I love it. I saw Trump uh, for the first time. I hadn't seen one before. How to make America great again hat with in camo in camo, which I also particularly liked. I figured it was only a matter of time before he moved from the red, the signature red and white to camo. But uh, that business is doing well. Ivanka's business, his daughter is having a little bit of trouble because she's being boycotted by some as a result of being Trump's daughter. And there's now talk about Trump's real estate empire having issues as well, at least the hotel side of it because of the brand damage that he has done to the Trump name. Well, of course, in real estate, people really just care about the property. Taking the name off the property, though, might become necessary at some of these places. Which, you know, I have to factor this into my... See, there are two approaches to this, and I I don't have an answer. Maybe you have a very clear sense in your head as to which of these is true. There's the Trump is taking... is going to take some real lumps over this whole thing, And he didn't have to do this. He's a billionaire. There's nothing that's sort of forcing him to spend his time and his money on this. Maybe he is doing it in his own way. Maybe he's doing this because he thinks it's good for the country. He's sacrificing. The other, because this is going to hurt his business. uh, I think that we have crossed over now. I think the Trump brand has... I mean, you could argue that it's more famous than it's ever been, clearly. I mean, that's not an argument that's true. And but that therefore offsets the damage that's been done to the brand uh, just because it's so much more well known now than it was before. You could certainly make that case. Uh, But there are going to be some negative consequences for the Trump brand that come out of all of this, too. The other side of this, though, for those of you who take the position, um, take a very cynical position about Trump, and perhaps it's true and not cynical is that he just didn't have the foresight to realize that this bonanza of free press he's getting by running for the presidency is uh, going to come with some strings attached to it, and and it could be much worse than just that. That there could be really negative consequences for his business empire that come from all of this. So, um, and, and that he didn't see it. Therefore, it's not out of some deep sense of patriotism that he's running. It's out of a lack of foresight for of the consequences that will come from being Trump and Trump. Okay, whether you believe that or not, I mean, I I leave all of that to you. But I do think those are two narratives right now about his motivations that that come up, you know, because I've said before, it seems sometimes like he doesn't really want to win. 
And then some out there, some pundits get very uh, indignant about that and say that's ridiculous. Why would he put himself through all this? Well, I mean, he's a guy who has always liked a tremendous amount of press. By the way, we'll get into the latest on Hillary soon. But the problem is it's like a catharsis to talk about Hillary at this point. You know she's terrible. I know she's terrible. But how many people can I convince listing right now to change their vote from Hillary if they haven't already if they haven't already realized she's terrible? I don't think there's anything I could tell them at this point that would change their mind. Nothing. I could even just make I could just make stuff up. I mean, I, I could come out of I could come out of nowhere with, oh, you know, Hillary actually clubs baby seals for fun on the weekend. And here's a video of it. And, and a lot of most Hillary supporters, I think, would just say, yeah, well. Those baby seals were asking for it. They wouldn't care. Wouldn't change a thing. And I know people say that's true of some Trump supporters, but it's not true of a majority of Trump supporters because a lot of people are supporting Trump just because he's a Republican. And a lot of Republicans are disgusted by this whole thing and just feel like the entire race. Uh, I think this is worse with the media, by the way, than it was with Obama. Because as I said, with Obama, look, the first black president, it, it, it is a big deal. It was a big deal. And the there was the narrative wasn't a, a difficult one to construct because it was really, really there that this could have been, should have been. We can discuss what the real ramifications uh, of the Obama presidency on race relations have been perhaps another time. But it could have been a moment to bring us all together and and uh, a, a, a massive step forward for the country in a historic in a historical sense. It certainly was. But in a policy sense, once you look at the administration over the full scope of the eight years, yeah, I'd say there have been some problems with race relations. Um, they have been exacerbated, many would argue, under this administration for a whole variety of reasons. But at least in 2008 and into 2009, the media was in love. They were in love. They were googly-eyed, and you know, I don't know how many of you have... I'm sure probably all of you are married and a lot of you who aren't have felt this before, but just not Obama was just dreamy. He was just dreamy to a lot of them, almost all of them. And it wasn't that McCain was the worst person ever. They weren't really saying that they were just like, you know, oldie McOld guy over here is not as cool as dreamy Obama. With Hillary, you've seen just the most sort of rank dishonest, slimy partisanship on display imaginable. It's like Hillary is a grotesquely corrupt and uh, enormously dishonest, flawed, uh, dare I say odious, yeah, that's right, busting it out again, person. And not only do the, do the media cover for her and push for her, they pretend that those things are not true. And you know there have been some very testy exchanges in the last couple of weeks. Um, well, there are testy exchanges among Republicans, but also just with some of the most established TV journalists out there, where they really they they will not go down the path of Hillary Clinton is is a is a corrupt liar. I, I want to look. I'm I'm on the sidelines right now for cable news because I'm not I'm not pro I'm obviously not pro Hillary and I'm not pro Trump enough. You know, as you as you all know, I'm, I'm very honest with where I stand and all that, although I do think I was uh, disappointed to see. And I've been I think I've been very fair to Evan McMullen as a candidate and as a uh, as an option in this election. I've had him on radio. A uh, lot of respect for him. Clearly a smart guy. 
not a tremendous amount of political skills, but he's new to all this and he's running for the presidency. Okay, but I've got a lot of respect for his his background and resume. And obviously we share the Langley bond. But I saw an interview where he says that even if it just means he stops Trump from winning, that would make him happy. So that means Hillary wins. So is, is that is that where sort of never Trump has gone now? It's one thing to be never Trump yourself, but never Trump now means better Hillary than it, it, I, look. Maybe that interview it came from Breitbart. Maybe I, that's where I saw it. Maybe that interview was taken out of uh, context, or maybe I missed something. But I saw that. I thought to myself, so we so we actually did. There's a ne- never Trump means Hillary should win. That's how that's how the uh, some of the never Trump people feel. That's how Evan McMullen feels. Rather have Hillary in office. Let me say. You know, it's interesting when you can get some indicators of how the rest of the country, I'm sorry, or the rest of the world feels um, about these sorts of things. It's interesting when you have evidence that's outside the lens of sort of political uh, commentary. It's just it is what it is. You've got CBS News reporting in a surge of uh, on a surge of illegal immigrants crossing the United States. Just in the run up to the presidential election, streaming through the streets of McAllen, Texas, on a daily basis, they are taken to a migrant center and then they are released by the Border Patrol pending their requests for asylum. How many of them do you think are going to get asylum? Probably all of them. How many of them are going to be deported? Very few. Very small percentage, an insignificant percentage. Why are they doing this? Quote, the smugglers are telling them if Hillary Clinton gets elected, there'll be some sort of amnesty that they need to get here by a certain date. Uh, They're also being told that if Donald Trump gets elected, there's going to be some magical wall that pops up overnight. And once that wall gets up, nobody will ever get in again. So in the illegal in the illegal entrant community, there is a sense that you got to get in before Hillary comes into office because. She is going to make sure there's amnesty. And in the. On the other side of the equation, they're they're worried that Trump is actually going to keep his word and keep people out. He'll, he'll secure the border. So while we sit here and, and the country sits around and we have to hear about Trump's 11 accusers and whether that's true or not. And, you know, Bill Clinton, why, why don't why aren't the term sexual predator ever used in reference to Bill Clinton? I do wonder about that. You don't hear the media talking about that. Allegations of sexual predation by Bill Clinton, much, uh, much deeper and more well established and for a much longer time than anything about Trump. And they say, oh, well, he's not he's not running. Oh, but he kind of is. We know the Clintons are a package deal. They've even talked about it themselves in that way in the past. Um, and Trump is, well, being Trump these days. He's actually given a couple of good speeches recently. But everything else around us is still happening. Illegal immigration continues. And there's this spike of it right now. And this is CBS reporting on it, not some, uh, well, I mean, CBS is clearly left-leaning, but it's not some random blogger in a basement somewhere who says he spoke to a friend who spoke to a friend who knows somebody who works on the Border Patrol. And the illegals think that Hillary is going to make sure there's amnesty. They're right, by the way. Hillary will make sure there's an amnesty. And then where are we? I mean, all the polls, all the things you see right now where it's, oh, up a little bit in this state, down a little bit in that state. Uh, 
that's ball game because after amnesty, I mean, amnesty results in permanent legal status, and then permanent legal status is going to result in citizenship. They're all they're going to apply for citizenship, and they're going to get, and the Democrats are going to ram it through as fast as possible, and they will have, to borrow a term from Obama, fundamentally transform the electorate. What do we do then? I mean, I really ask that in all honesty. What, what do we? What's the what's the game plan then for my stalwart constitutional conservative friends? What what do we do? Try to convince uh, minority populations that vote 70, 80, 90 percent Democrat to change their minds because, you know, limited government and free markets are better. OK, well, we've been trying that for a long time. Our success ratio has not been great. Like I said, I don't want to do I don't want to do gloom and doom here on the show, but I get a I get a little terse with this glib notion that well, it's just better if Hillary wins because you know then we'll we'll rebuild, we'll reconstitute. What will we rebuild exactly? As a Republican Party that is supposed to be founded on conservative principles, what are we going to do then? How do you counter amnesty? Do we do we have an answer? Obama tried it. It's stuck in the courts. Hillary will finish it. How many more millions of voters go in the Democrat rolls at that point? And this is what's at stake. Media wants to sit around and have a food fight about Trump and misogyny and, you know, leave Bill Clinton out of it, of course. Meanwhile, the border is still open. Illegals are still streaming across. And the future of the country is in, oh, let's say... Let's say dire straits. Let's just go there. We'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show. Team, I want to know what you think about the election at this point. We've only got a couple of weeks left, so not too much time for us, or not more time than we can handle to uh, to discuss this. And then it will be one way or another, my friends. It will be all over. Uh, so eight 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 nine zero zero three three nine three. What do you think? Uh, just that's that's it. What do you think? I want to know what you think about it. Do you think this is? I'm not even. I don't even want to lead the witness here. Just tell me. Tell me what your what your feelings are about the election right now. I'm trying not to let it get me depressed day to day. That's kind of where I am. Like, oh god. I see some of these people on TV, some of the Trump surrogates. I'm just like, where do they find these idiots? And then I see all of the journalists just getting in line to be. Oh, Hillary, you know, please, can I bow before you? Ugh, it's so disgusting. Happy news or. Happy may not be the perfect good news. Let's call it good news. Secretary of Defense Ash Carter has announced that the Pentagon is going to suspend its effort to recover decade old reenlistment bonuses paid to thousands of California Army National Guard soldiers who fought in Iraq and Afghanistan. This is all on FoxNews.com. About 2000 soldiers were recently told they had to repay the cash bonuses that in some cases amounted to fifteen thousand dollars or more. Carter said there was a process in place to assist soldiers who sought relief of such obligations. And in this case, hundreds of Guard members have already sought and been granted relief. 
it has moved too slowly, he says, and it's unreasonable. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, of all the things, of all the things the government can do to recoup money or whatever, this should be not even bottom of the list. This should be off the list. Uh, people risking their lives to serve their country. Government paid them something, and now the government's going to take it back. Sorry, we're we're going to let this. We're going to just let this one stand. We're going to let this one go, or at least we should. Ridiculous. I mean, this just goes to show you, you know, think about all of the money the government wastes on stuff, and then finally here they are. Enlist, re-enlistment bonuses for people who could get sent to Iraq and Afghanistan and all of a sudden the government gets a tight fist on the purse I don't think so so that's good news hey good things happen everybody I bring you happy things too sometimes or at least good things 888-900-3393 I'll be right back The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. So I was going to uh, get coffee this morning. This is part of my ritual, my pre-Freedom Hut ritual. I go for a little stroll, go get some coffee, and I come back and continue to read in, do what I do here in the hut. And what was I? Oh, yeah, I heard. I walked past a store, and I was like, that's some pretty, I kind of like it. What's that song? And, you know, and it was, there was a, a kind of an infectious guitar going on, and it was, the, the melody was very, uh, you know, I don't want to say seductive, that's too much, but it was, it sort of drew me in and I got a little closer to the store, had his door open and I realized I was listening to Nickelback, Buck, get it together. It was pre-coffee though, so, you know, I'm, I'm not as, oh gosh, no, Bob Dylan, please. Bob Dylan is like kryptonite for me. You put that on and I just, it's like, it's like when vampires are exposed to sunlight, I just get burned and like shrink away into the darkness. I can't, I'm sorry, I can't do Bob Dylan. I feel the way about Bob Dylan that Bob Dylan feels about the Nobel Prize for Literature, apparently. (laughs) He won't even pick it up because he doesn't care. Oh, man, it's good stuff. Oh, you silly Swedes. Stick stick to other things. Stick to what you know. Stick to modular furniture. Okay. Um, So election stuff. A couple of quick things worth noting. One is that there's a, a poll that shows that Trump is actually ahead 
And what is this poll here? Trump is actually ahead in Florida, um, which oh, Bloomberg, it's a Bloomberg politics poll. So 45% to 43%. So if Trump can win in Florida, it seems like he's got to be in the game elsewhere, right? That's the, whether that's what the polls are saying or not. I'm also amazed at how much the news media can spend just discussing numbers that change day in and day out uh, as though, you know, we really need people. We don't have people explaining them who have particular expertise in polling usually it's it's oftentimes just somebody who's like hey this guy's ahead no this guy's ahead, or gal is ahead it's not the most fascinating stuff and then behind all of this as well there's i think the media sort of gets they, they like this whole thing because it's an election so they know they'll have high ratings and they can trot out people that really have nothing to say that don't have a lot of um analytic chops you know can't are can't offer much in the way of explaining policy or aren't persuasive in their arguments about any number of issues. And they can go on TV and just talk about the polls and defend one candidate or the other, though. It's, it's, this is the thing. That, this is like putting people on TV to talk about their favorite sports team, right? It's not, it's not rocket science. Anybody can do it. But that's what the media has sort of devolved into right now. There are some interesting things happening in the background, though, of all of this. Uh, CNN.com has this piece on the... Uh, the pending fight over the Republican Party, thats it's going to have to play out one way or another. You know, Obviously, Trump winning or Trump losing makes a huge difference in all of this. But here's, here's the piece. Top House Republicans are moving to quiet dissent over Speaker Paul Ryan's rocky relationship with Donald Trump as some on the far right of the GOP conference are threatening to stir up trouble in leadership elections next month. Regardless of what happens on Election Day, Ryan is in a difficult situation given the deep divisions in the Republican Party. He has become a target of Trump's grassroots supporters, and there is some concern among members that if Trump loses outside groups, uh, loses outside groups could try to put pressure on GOP offices to dump Ryan as Speaker, especially if they don't like the outcome of the year-end spending bill Congress will take up. Okay, so Ryan could be in some trouble. America's favorite Boy Scout. Uh, Ryan could be. Is he? I should probably find out if he ever was a Boy Scout because I keep saying that. I would guess he was. Uh, which I was for like a year, I think, maybe maybe six months. Did not like, being a Boy Scout in New York was like let's all go to Central Park, everybody, and once a year you'd sort of get into get into buses and go to some place in New Jersey where like the ground was kind of damp and you're supposed to set up a tent and you know there was like a gas station within sight. It wasn't wasn't that awesome. All right, side note: the the fights of leadership uh, the, those are going to happen for sure. The bigger question is, I think, the purge that is coming in conservative media. Is it, well, is it coming and what will it look like? Those are, you could ask both of those questions. I, I think there's going to be a lot of score settling after this. Um, if Trump wins, then I don't really know what happens with Never Trump. I don't really know how that works right because can you be never trump for four years of a trump presidency and still be i'm not talking about as a private citizen you can do whatever you want i mean as a political commentator as somebody who tries to build audience and influence public perception can you just be the guy can you be the guy who just is never trump forever ever is that really possible i kind of wonder about that i'm not sure it is i'm not sure it's feasible um to just sort of continue to stake out that position 
Because at some point, it sounds like you're doing the Democrats. So anyway, I, I, I don't know, though. I, I sit here and I say, this is, you know, this is uh, open. It could be any number of ways that this thing shakes out. But if Trump loses, then I do think you're going to see a lot of the people who have a voice in, in conservative in the conservative movement and conservative circles and conser- uh, conservative media, they're going to want uh, some. I'm trying to think of the best way of putting this. They'll want what they view as justice, perhaps just desserts. They're going to want to hold to account, especially those that they believe sold out their principles publicly for a short term bump in audience for a short-term gain in professional notoriety. And that could get really ugly. Uh, I I know the individuals, not all of them, obviously, but I know a fair amount of the individuals that are both prominent on the never-Trump side and prominent on the never, uh, I'm sorry, on the the pro-Trump side. And they have not forgotten. And I think that everyone's sort of sitting around this is like when everyone's when two sides are staring across a battlefield at each other and neither side is going to sort of shoot the first volley of arrows or, you know, musket or charge or whatever. Uh, but they're ready for it. And I think it's I think it could get really ugly. I think it'll be interesting. I think the way that it plays out will be kind of fascinating to see um, because it, it does feel like this has largely been a year where the best of conservatism has been sidelined. In terms of the intellectual firepower that public that the sort of public intellectuals of the conservative movement have, they've a lot of them have been quieted. So uh, that that's going to there's going to be a backlash that results from that. And I think that the Trump, uh, I think that the Trump phenomenon is going to have ramifications well beyond election day. That's an obvious statement, but it's one that we should uh, we should definitely keep in mind. And then there's also the the point about how much of a role conservative media had in creating this whole circumstance in the first place. I know there have been some very prominent voices who have been opposed to Trump from the beginning. Well aware of that. Many of them. But the constant uh, denigration of the establishment, the establishment Republicans, the sort of, uh, you know, the, the Republicans who are always, you know, they always surrender. They don't do enough. I wonder if the creation of false expectations in many of the Republican rank and file in terms of supporters, in terms of voters, citizens, is a sort of underestimated aspect of how we got to this point with Trump in the first place. I wonder how much of this, as we see it, can be attributed to the idea that if only we had a few different people in leadership uh, in the Republican Party, we would be able to get these things done that we want done, despite the fact that we've had a Democrat president who's a hardliner, an ideologue, and completely protected by the media for eight years. Uh, We do keep losing. That's sort of true, right? When you look at what's happened in recent years, we have not been, conservatives have not been winning. We've been able to hold the line on some issues, but it starts to feel a bit hollow when you transition from victory to, well, victory is not losing. I think people were frustrated with that. I I was frustrated with that. I can understand how after a while that feels very uh, vacuous. There's just nothing in it. It feels like 
a situation where how enthusiastic can you really be when you're talking about not losing? Not about winning, about not losing. Uh, When a tie is the best that you can get, people are going to become frustrated and people are going to feel like uh, there needs to be something else. And that's where we are, and that's how we got to this place. That's how we have the GOP civil war that is playing out before our very eyes. And I, I know it's <laughs> I know it's a bit uh, conspiratorial sounding when you start to say things like, I do not trust the polls, but the polls to me do seem uh, like they're not telling the whole story. And I just can't imagine that Hillary, I don't think Hillary's going to have a sweeping victory. If she wins, I don't think it's going to be by that much, which means that the Trump movement is going to still be around as a thing. I mean, it used to be that conservatives had to deal with sort of the Ron Paul. Like, there were Ron Paul fanatics. We, I can say that because I'm, I'm familiar with them. I knew some of them. And they were crazy about Ron Paul. It wasn't like Ron Paul was a, another option on the ticket and, and the best one in their eyes, it was, Ron Paul's a real deal. He'll save the country. Anyone else is a fraud. And if you don't like Ron Paul, you're an idiot. Paul bots, people used to call them. That was a real thing. But the movement, that movement wasn't big enough to disrupt the whole party infrastructure and to change the national debate in a major way. Trump, uh, Trump supporters, there's enough of them that the party can remain in this sort of schism mode. Which is not good. Which is not good. And um, I have very major uh, concerns about what that will look like going forward. I, I don't. I again. I, I talked to you about all this because this is what this is what is surrounding us. These are the, uh, the the main stories of the day. And I don't have the. I wish I had answers on this stuff. I don't have the answers. Um, I have a lot of questions and a lot of thoughts on it. But how we make all this better? I brought up illegal immigration in the in the first segment today. Mostly just to remind everybody that there are things at stake that matter and that I don't think time is on the side of the conservative of, of conservatism anymore. And, and I know people point to state level um, state legislatures and state houses and our control in the House and the Senate. But the presidency is more potent and more powerful now than it has really ever been. And the federal bureaucracy is larger and more potent and powerful than it has ever been. And if you control that, not a whole lot else really matters. And you see the way that government functions in a lot of other countries. It's very centralized and top-down. Sure, there are district-level and sort of local-level uh, officials, and there's a, but we don't really have protection from the federal government anymore. There are very few things that are left to the states that the feds can't determine for you. And both parties seem absolutely absolutely dedicated to enlarging the size of government, to continuing to spend us into oblivion. There's not a lot to be... Did I mention that the military guys are going to get to keep their bonuses? That's my happy place right now. That's it. That's the only good thing. That's the only really positive note today as I was going through all of the news. I was like, well, that's... At least that's happening. Uh, Because Trump, win or lose, we we got big problems. And... I still fall on the side of things where if Trump loses, I think it's it's worse for the conservative 
for the conservative movement. I think it's worse for us all around. I will. I promise you, we're going to switch on to some other topics, some hit some random things here and there today as well, just to mix it up. So it's not going to be all this election talk. But we are in saturation mode right now. It is everywhere. Uh, it's hard to find something not election related that the media is going to cover and talk about. So I'm doing as I'll do as much diversification team as I possibly can. But today we've got some politics to do, and then we'll get into other stuff. Uh, phone lines are open, 888-900-3393. I'll be right back. Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Trump and Biden had an interesting little exchange. Uh, They're talking about sort of handling it the old schoolyard way. And this is what the Donald said about his desire to settle things in such a fashion with Vice President Joe Biden. Did you see where Biden wants to take me to the back of the barn? Me. He wants it. I'd love that. I'd love that. Mr. Tough Guy. You know... He's Mr. Tough Guy. You know when he's Mr. Tough Guy? When he's standing behind a microphone by himself. That's when he's been. He wants to bring me to the back of the barn. Oh. Some things in life you could really love doing. Our nation has lost. And by the way, if I said that, they'd say, he's violent. How could he have done that? Yeah, this is Trump doing his entertaining Trump thing. Uh, how he got the huge crowds in the first place and everything else. Um, he is much more entertaining than Biden. Biden is accidentally entertaining. Right? Biden really doesn't try to be. He just says uh, sort of stupid and, and somewhat outrageous things uh, in the course of normal conversation. And then the media goes, oh, Joe Biden, he's just so hilarious. Um, but Trump can be funny. And uh, and there I think he is being kind of funny. Uh, we'll see if it's if it's able to uh, push him over the over the finish line. Big poll today, up up a couple in Florida. So you know it's it ain't over until the until the person of indiscriminate girth wins because we don't like to uh, value people based on such things. Um, so yeah, we will have to see. It is going to be a close one. We'll talk to uh, talk to a Daily Call reporter coming up here and uh, Tom Rogan on national security. A lot more coming up. Hour two. Stay with me. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is The Buck Sexton Show. All right, Team Buck, welcome to Hour 2 in the Freedom Hut today. The media and Hollywood are playing a huge role in this election. Why don't we talk to somebody who follows this all the time, Caitlin Collins. She is the Daily Caller's entertainment editor. She joins us now. Caitlin, always a pleasure. Hi, Buck. How are you? I'm all right. How's everything going? 
I can't complain. All right. So let's talk a bit about some of the stuff you've been covering over at the D.C., the Daily Caller. You can read Caitlin's stuff on dailycaller.com. First off, you've got Katy Perry and Miley Cyrus who are out there trying to help Hillary in their own ways. What's going on? Yes, they are very vocal Hillary Clinton supporters. Uh, Katy Perry and Miley Cyrus both stumped for Hillary Clinton this past weekend in Nevada. Katy Perry was seen wearing a nasty woman T-shirt, which, of course, is what Donald Trump called Hillary Clinton during the last presidential debate in Las Vegas. And then Miley Cyrus is going uh, door-to-door in dorm rooms and encouraging students to vote. And then she also had some harsh words for Donald Trump on her Instagram and basically said, people who aren't voting for Hillary Clinton can kiss her you-know-what. So they're both big Hillary Clinton people, and they really, really dislike Donald Trump. Yeah, that much has has become <laughs> has been clear, I think, all along here. Cheryl Crow, yeah. who I don't know if she I thought she was retired. Uh, that's apparently not. Cheryl Crow is on. Oh, C- come on. <laughs> I did. I thought she'd sort of, you know, left the business. <laughs> apparently not. Cheryl Crow is on CNN and she said that a, a shorter election would make it more civilized. Uh, what's what's going on there? So Cheryl Crow went on CNN yesterday and argued that when she grew up, the election process was much more civilized. She she referenced Walter Cronkite. She said that, you know, there was a lot of respect for the Oval Office back in those days. And she said that that's not happening now. And to solve that, she thinks a shorter election would do so. I'm not completely sure that a shorter election would change anything about, you know, what Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton have said in the past few months. But she seems to think that it would create a better system. She said when it drags out this long, it is only to benefit the news networks and it no longer becomes about substance and policy that is mostly just what politics is, you know, name calling, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, it is, I will say that it feels like the, the networks all recognize that there will be a boost in ratings that comes from all this. So extending it out, it, it, it does feel sort of like when you're watching one of those reality shows where they're going to tell you like who's voted off the Island or who gets the ring or whatever, and they keep on saying, and uh-huh. we'll tell you right after this break. I mean, there does feel like an artificiality to the length of it now, and we could make it shorter. But uh, so maybe Cheryl Crow is, uh, has got a point here. But uh, then again, who knows? I, I've, I haven't heard from Cheryl Crow in quite a while. We'll just sort of leave it there. Um, not necessarily. Oh, th- this is also this is also election related. Uh, SNL had a ratings high. You wrote about this. I have to say, the SNL sketch that had it was Black Jeopardy, and they had a Trump supporter on Black yes. Jeopardy was one of the only legitimately funny and sort of good-hearted and meant-to-laugh-at-from-both-sides sketches I've seen on on SNL all year. Yeah, SNL really had a fully formed episode this past Saturday, and a lot of people are crediting crediting that to the Black Jeopardy segment because, like you said, it could make people on both sides of the aisle laugh. I think at the end they were left feeling like, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to think that's funny, but I do think it was a fully formed, like, hilarious sketch, and they really hit the nail on the head. And apparently making fun of Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton has gone well for them because they have had the highest ratings that they've had in years. And, in fact, it's the highest ratings they had since the last election when, you know, Sarah Palin was in it, Tina Fey was mocking her, and these are the best numbers they've seen since then. 
What do you, who you think that uh, Alec Baldwin is the best Trump impersonator they've had? I think he does a pretty good job as Trump. I think he does a really good job. I think he's got you know the little idiot idiot idiosyncrasies down you know to a T. But I also think Kate McKinnon does a really good job impersonating Hillary, and I don't think she gets enough credit for that. But you know she's got the whole crazy eyes thing going on, and I really think she's been able to nail that. But she has a certain there's an affection that comes across that she has for Hillary, whereas you can tell Alec Baldwin really does not like Donald Trump. I mean, maybe that's also influenced by the fact that we know Baldwin's politics. He had an MSNBC show for like 10 days and he lost it because I think he used one of the F words towards a a reporter. Right. Wasn't that what happened? His show got yanked like week three or something. Yes, and you're right. He has a lot of hate in his heart for Donald Trump, so to speak. Uh, I thought it was really funny during the cold opener this past Saturday. He actually referenced his brother, Stephen Baldwin, who is a very big Donald Trump supporter and was in the spin room after the Las Vegas debate. So I'm sure that's a pretty interesting table to sit at during Thanksgiving. Now, I'm only asking about this because I worked in terrorism. I have a counterterrorism background, and I take all these matters very seriously. You have a piece up on why the Victoria's Secret fashion show was worried about terrorism. I need to know what's going on here. Yeah, so, you know, they have the annual Victoria's Secret fashion show every year that pretty much everyone in the United States watch watches. And they had it in London last year, and they usually announce really soon where they're going to have it. They like to build up a lot of hype and have a lot of advertisements. But this year, they just announced that they're having it in Paris in a few weeks. And they've kept it under wraps because they fear a terrorist threat. They worry that if they release the venue, which they haven't released yet, that it'll give terror, potential terrorists too much time to plan an attack. And they've kept things really quiet. And it is it is a big show. It's all the models. It's all the executives. And it's also a big celebrity event. And so they're very concerned about security this year. All right. Well, if they need a terrorism expert, you give them you give them my name. I'd be happy to, to give. Yeah, them I'm a, sure that you would. They'd have to twist your arm to make you the go. The best advice, the best advice about terrorism they can get, I would I would give the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show. <laughs> Last one for you. The season premiere of The Walking Dead. Did you watch? Are you a Walking Dead watcher? Did you watch The Walking Dead? Okay, I don't watch The Walking Dead, and this past Sunday just reaffirmed why I don't watch The Walking Dead. I think everyone who watches it begrudgingly does so like i don't see if there's any perks in watching this show no there's no feel-good moments no sense of like me- of revenge it's just all misery for the viewers do you disagree with me no it was sun- i was like why did i put myself through this on sunday it was it was like watching somebody slowly die of a terrible disease it was terrible there's just not there's it was like this is horrible i, <laughs> I think i'm done with it i think i finally i think they finally lost me with this episode so Exactly. That A lot of people felt the same way. I mean, I read off headlines the other day right after the premiere, and it was all like, goodbye forever, Walking Dead. The Walking Dead premiere was miserable. We can't believe we watched that. And I think a lot of viewers feel like you do. They feel like there's no return on their investment in that show. Yeah. No, it's well, the return is you get to feel terrible about everything and then have <laughs> nightmares about zombies and very mean people beating people with baseball bats. So, Rough stuff. Uh, nothing to do with the election, but I just wanted to ask you about it. Kayla, what are you working on next, and where can people see your stuff? On uh, just, I assume they go to dailycaller.com? Yeah, dailycaller.com for all celebrity news. All right. Kaylin Collins, always great to have you. Thank you very much for calling in. Thanks so much, Buck. 
Phone lines are open, 888-900-3393. Josh in Alabama, you're on the Buck Saxon Show. Welcome. Hey, Buck. Yeah, pleasure to be on. Uh, first-time caller. I really enjoy the show. Thank you so uh, much. Just on the call. Oh, my pleasure. I uh, just want to call and say, uh, you know, I uh, I tend to agree with you on the polls. Um, you know, I could be completely wrong, but I think they're underestimating a couple things. Um, one thing or two things on Hillary, I think that the turnout in two segments will be very low. I think um, college students, I don't see them flocking to Hillary. I don't see them going to Trump. I see them going third party or staying home. And honestly, I see a lot with the black vote with Hillary. I don't see any enthusiasm there. I don't see the turnout that they had uh, with Obama nearly as much with Hillary. And then also with Trump, nobody's looking at the rural communities, especially in these swing states, uh, Ohio, Pennsylvania, even Wisconsin. These disenfranchised rural white voters who have, many of them lost their jobs, especially due to the war on you know coal, they're going to turn out in droves. And I think the media is completely missing that. I think you're right. I mean, look, why why is it weird? Why should we feel strange questioning polls when I'm, I'm looking at real clear politics right now and the L.A. T- general election, Trump, Trump, Clinton, Wednesday, October 26th, the L.A. Times poll has Trump up a point. And an ABC News poll has Clinton up nine points. I mean, that's that's an enormous difference. Now, I, I, maybe the general election Trump v. Uh, v. Clinton L.A. Times poll is uh, it doesn't have third party candidates in it or something. And maybe that, you know, there might be I have to look deeper into it. But you have very serious uh, disparities. I mean, very real disparities between these various polls. So, OK, some of them show Clinton up a lot. Some of them show her up a little one or two show Trump up a little. So why is the media pushing this narrative that this is all over? I mean, if it's all over and it's obvious, every poll should show Hillary Clinton up, no question, right? I'm looking at polls right now from today that show Trump either within the margin of error or up. So, you know, why should we feel weird, Josh? Why should we feel like we're being, you know, uh, tinfoil hat people when... The reality is you look at the polls and the polls aren't even in agreement. I feel like this is almost like with climate change, right? Like they'll tell you the science is settled, all scientists agree. And then you'll look up and you'll see, well, no, actually, there's a bunch of scientists who don't agree. And they're like, shut up. You're crazy. You're dumb. All the, They all agree. It's like, wait, which is it? The polls don't all show Trump getting clobbered. So why are we supposed to believe that he's going to get annihilated? I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it either. And, you know, mine's just based off what I see in perspective. And I don't even like Donald Trump. <laughs> I can't stand Donald Trump. It, this is just from an outside perspective. But, you know, I just don't see any enthusiasm at all behind Hillary. And those who support Trump love him. Um, you know, down here in Alabama, that's all you see. Uh, so my vote doesn't really matter down here either way. <laughs> I, I think Alabama is pretty safe, pretty safe for Trump. That's one of the states that we could probably put in the red category and it's good to go. Uh, I would agree there as well. <laughs> yeah, they, they are. That is a never. If there is a never Hillary state, I think Alabama is probably high up on the list. So, Josh, great to have you calling, my friend. First time caller. Always appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, lines are still open, team. 888-900-3393. Just let it rip, guys and gals. What do you think about the election right now? What are your thoughts on it? I mean, we've got two weeks here. It's almost over. Where are you on all this? I'm really curious if there's anyone listening who's still 
torn between Trump or McMullen or Trump and Johnson or just staying or, or also Trump or staying home and just not voting at all. Or maybe or maybe down ballot uh, Republican and leave the top, you know, leave the top blank. Another possibility there. Uh, Kevin, Wisconsin, you were on the Buck Sexton show. Hey, Mr. Buck, thanks for taking my call and wanting to hear my opinion. Um, where I'm at on this election is what we did last year as a government. Uh, you know, we uh, they tried to um, prosecute the Planned Parenthood whistleblowers. We redefined marriage. We uh, the Republicans approved the, the the spending that our president's doing. We uh, gave millions and billions of dollars to Iraq, and we turned our back on Israel. Um, I, I personally, I voted for Trump uh, Saturday. I'm originally from North Carolina. That's where I vote. And, uh, you know, I, I think irregardless of who gets in because of uh, uh, the moral choices this country made last summer, I think uh, I think we're going off the cliff. It's just a matter of if Hillary gets in, we pick up speed quicker. If Trump gets in, maybe we can throw a couple safety lines to slow us down as we go off. So you, so you think, Kevin, that, that sort of the, the demise of the republic one way or another, as we know it, is inevitable. It's just a question of Hillary's going to jam her foot on the accelerator and Trump is going to leave it in neutral and just roll down the hill. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, um, the Supreme Court, if, if that gets conservative, that'd be awesome. Uh, I personally believe that morality in this country as a whole will will fix the problems we have. And but I don't think Trump is going to do anything to reverse what the Supreme Court did for um, marriage last year. And no, I don't believe I he will either. That, I, I don't think I, I don't think Trump cares very much about uh, traditional yeah. marriage. It's certainly not something he talks about. And I, I think he's fine with with the status quo, which is gay marriage is the law of the land now. Yeah, and uh, you know that's the foundation to a uh, uh, a safe family environment and. It's gone, and you know, even the the Romans didn't elevate sodomy-based marriage as high as our country has. And from what I understand, the last civilization that did this was the the governments in the days of Noah, and we know how that one turned out. Uh, I would have to look that one up. I'm not familiar with that, but uh, fair enough. Yeah, Kevin I'm not was- either. I. Thank no, you. I just—I mean, I'm not—I'm yeah, not familiar with that part of the that part of the of the Bible. Uh, Kevin, thank you for calling in from Wisconsin, my friend. Shield Tide, good to talk to you. Uh, I try—I remember I tried to watch the Noah movie with uh, with what's his name, the guy from Gladiator, which he's awesome in Gladiator. Russell Crowe, thank you. It was unwatchable trash. It was so bad. That movie was so bad, and then also the the Moses remake with the guy from the Batman movie. I'm so bad with actor names, uh, whatever that guy's name is. That was also unwatchable. Christian Bale, thank you. It was terrible. It wasn't like, I don't think this is good. This isn't the best thing I've seen in a while. It was like, this is a big, amazing piece of a stinky poo-poo piled on top of the other poo-poo. I mean, it was d- terrible. Unbelievable trash. They spent out so much money on it. I don't know how they do this. By the way, a little side note. Uh... They had a, they had a story in the Post yesterday about Heath Ledger, who played the Joker in the second Batman movie, and which was an incredible performance. I mean, people say he got the Oscar, and it was sort of a makeup Oscar or whatever because he died. And I, I actually think he, 
as much as anyone cares about Oscars one way or the other, I know a lot of you probably like who cares, but it was an amazing theatrical performance. I mean, the, the joke, he made that movie. Otherwise, the plot, I don't want to, I don't want to like get into this too much, but the plot doesn't really make any sense. And like, there's a lot of stuff you're like, uh, what, what, you know, I mean, it makes a little, it makes more sense in the third movie where police can live like in the, like thousands of police can live in the sewer of New York City with no food or water or anything. And, and then just like come out ready to fight. I mean, the, the, the third one, John, you know, I'm right. The third Bad Bad movie was just, and it made a billion dollars and people love it. But I was like, that movie was, it was kind of nonsense. It was entertaining, but it was nonsense. Uh, but anyway, Heath Ledger's apartment, according to New York Post, was like, a, had become a giant shrine to the Joker. Um, it was very clean and, and orderly, but there was just a lot of Joker paraphernalia and everything everywhere. And anyway, very unfortunate that young man uh, uh, died of a accidental drug overdose, a bunch of prescription drugs. Uh, but it was an incredible performance in that movie. Uh, okay. 888-900-3393. We can take some more calls, and uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. diversion here for a minute team but we've only got about a minute before we got to go into the next uh, break and then we'll take uh, some national security with our friend tom rogan uh but if you're on hold stay on hold we'll get to your calls i want to talk to you more about the election um i i it's like uh it makes me feel better to hear from all of you about what you feel like right now because i really wish i was here and it was we've got a great candidate and we could talk all about you know how excited we are for like the restoration of america and all this sort of stuff and instead it sort of feels like Look, it's a tough, it's a tough, it's a tough situation. That's the, that's the best way I can put it. It's a tough situation, everybody. It's a tough deal here. Uh, I was going to talk to you about how bad behavior is rising on airplanes, which is a Wall Street Journal piece. Maybe I'll get to that in the third hour. The long and the short of that is people are savages on airplanes sometimes. They're so inconsiderate and rude. It's one of the reasons why I don't like flying. I don't like flying because of other people. I don't like going to the movie theater because of other people because of their manners or lack thereof. And it's getting worse on planes. I don't know how that can be the case, but it is It is getting worse. Um, so if somebody smacks down their... The, 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 big, the people who kick the back of the seat or constantly hit the back of the seat, there should be a special punishment. Like, I feel like you should be able to have the whole plane look at them and somebody comes over with a bucket of ice-cold water and pours it over their head and then everybody claps. Back after this break. The Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton. On the Blaze Radio Network. we got Josh in South Carolina on the line. What is up, Josh? Josh? Hello? John, I don't hear Josh. Do you hear Josh? Is this just me? I don't hear him either, but we have him on the line. Josh, why, why are you playing coy, my man? 
What's with the what's with the sneaky special ops stuff? This is supposed to be out in the open. I thought we were gonna have a chat. All right. Hello. Well if we Hey there he is. what's up, Josh? Hey Buck. Gosh, that's embarrassing. That happened last time I called. Uh, well, no worries. Something's we, wrong with we, my we got phone. you now. Everybody's listening. <laughs> well, shield tie, first of all. Shield tie. Uh I just wanted to talk a little bit about um Florida, um, and the way it's looking. Uh, first of all that uh I, I understand is uh trump trump up by a couple points there right uh yeah right now there's a bloomberg politics poll that says trump is up two. okay i you know honestly i think he's going to win it by probably six you know to eight points you know when it's all said and done but wait you, know, I, you I think, think trump's could... gonna win the whole thing by six or eight points look no, at no, you no. sassy man no florida i think he'll win florida oh, florida by, six, by oh okay okay sorry <laughs> right i you know he he uh and the reason he's going to do well there is because of the way Florida's demographics break down. And there's a lot of older retired people there, um, older white people. And I'm, I'm not saying that because I hate white people. My, I'm a white person myself. I'm going to become an old white person someday, hopefully. But, uh, you know, he, he does well with the, um, you know, with the older white vote. And uh, he's not going to do well with women. He's probably not going to do very well in Miami or the lower part of the state, but I do think he'll end up winning Florida. The problem is he's probably not going to win Pennsylvania. In fact, I don't think he will. Uh, he's It's in play in Arizona. For goodness sake, Texas and states like Georgia are in play. And I, I kept on hearing all this stuff about how Trump was going to put all these blue states in play, and instead all the swing states are in play, and some red states are suddenly toss-up states. You know, it's, it's like... Where where was all this stuff coming from? What was yeah, it? I'm old enough. To... I'm old enough to remember when we were told that there was a real chance Donald Trump would win New York, which there is no chance Donald Trump is going to win New York. No, that was always a pipe dream. I, you know, and you know, I, I, I'll full disclosure. I'm a I'm a never Trumper. Um, I've never liked the guy. Never from the. You know, it wasn't like just you know after he became the nominee or during the process. I I didn't like him or or suddenly didn't become a fan of him because of who he is, but I've, I've never, I've never understood how you nominate a guy that really has no political ex- experience at all. Um, you know, I, I understand the, the argument of, you know, you want a businessman, he, you know, you want to kind of go outside of the government because we've been be, betrayed all these years, but for goodness sake, why, why would you not go with somebody that has a proven track record and, can you can point to why would you choose somebody that's never done anything about that that's what i've never understood you know so, so what, let me what is your what is your uh, answer for this election what are you going to do on election day me personally i'm probably going to vote um i'm going to vote third party i probably daryl castle um he's the Who? closest one to what <laughs> exactly but you know what my vote to me is my personal endorsement and and uh, you know it, it's not about who wins to me it's it's about can I stand before God and say, you know, not that God's going to say, who did you vote for in 2016? I don't know that he's going to do that, but I'm just saying to feel comfortable with myself and be able to sleep at night, I need to be able to say, I voted for someone that represented me, you know, and I, Trump doesn't, you know, I can, you know, I know everybody always says, well, their kids, how are they going to, you know, go before their kids? Their kids probably aren't going to care at that point. You know, they're not going to be asking who you voted for in 2016, but it does affect, you know, how your kids, grow up and everything. And I, I understand all the arguments about the Supreme Court and everything. 
I, I've just everything I've heard from him. He's he's been on every side of every issue, and it's hard to, for me to try to wrap, logically wrap my mind around voting for someone like that. So to me, my vote is my personal endorsement. I'm going to vote for someone that, of course, has no chance of winning, but it's important that those guys are there, in my opinion, because if they weren't, a lot of people wouldn't even go out and vote. A lot of people just throw their hands up and say, I'm not going to vote because I can't vote for somebody. I'm not going to even bother voting down ticket. So I really think it helps to have Evan McMullen and Daryl Castle and all these other you know, candidates that can at least give someone a reason to go to the polls. So all right. hopefully, you know, I've been, I've been hearing the Senate is in play, and that's that's very scary. Indeed it is, Josh. Scary times. Josh from South Carolina, good to talk to you, sir. Thank you for calling in, Shields High. Uh, we're going to switch into a buck brief with Tom Rogan now. Hit the brief, please. You are entering the Blaze Threat Ops Center. This is a secure space. All outside comms are down. Prepare to receive the buck brief. Tom Rogan of National Review joins us now. He's going to talk to us a bit about Mosul. Good to have you on, Tom. Good to be with you, Buck. Thanks for having uh, thanks for having me on again. Of course, sir. Most important counter ISIS offensive, uh, certainly all year. Uh, trying to retake Mosul. Bring us up to speed on first off. How's it going? I, I would say slow but steady. Uh, you see the compression or from the east you have the kurds moving with western special operations forces uh from the south uh the iraqi army uh, and then from the southwest in more of a sort of a holding uh degree uh the some of the ambari tribes with iraqi units but yeah they're, they're taking the settlements around mosul uh, bringing the noose to bear uh but of course the the the, the big battle uh remains ahead and and you know i think when we we discuss this because you have some experience personally of mosul buck and uh you know it, it's going to be very tough uh to put it bluntly i think the the idea you know it, it is just beginning um and so you know the, the hardest days are by far ahead and you can see by the tactics uh that uh isola implies or applying into the, their, uh, their their fight that, that it's going to you know it's going to be tough and there are outside players who are uh getting involved in this not all of them are necessarily being com- being entirely or even mostly constructive in it uh you've got the turks who seem to have a very keen interest in what goes on across the border in in mosul yeah yeah i mean and, and exactly and i think it's a very good example here uh, it's it, it, what other states are doing and other actors are doing, whether that be the Shia militias, Iran, the Turks, uh, the Kurds in terms of territorial ambitions, um, the Russians, obviously, loitering around in, in Iraq as well as in Syria. Uh, absent the United States, you know, these different actors sense opportunity uh, and, and are pushing the gambit. And the big, you know, as you know, Mosul's, you know, tradition is a place of, a multi-sectarian um, consensus, at least in a, in, a, in a basic functional sense, under Saddam and even in the, in the aftermath of Saddam's regime, it, it was always on a um, uh, on a cliff face, right? That, that those all it means is that you know that the, the political the politicization of sectarianism to spill over, and then that all falls away. And so there's a real risk of um, you know that the great lesson, I guess, supposed to the last 12 years or 
14 years is is what what happens next where does it end and and you know when the battle is over those political um struggles are going to be as important if not more important than the than the actual battle itself you've written a piece on national review specifically looking at the role the u.s has to play in this uh counter isis offensive uh, talk to me about that yeah, so I was talking about the uh, both the political and, and military side. On the military side, obviously, we have our JTAC, we have the forward air controllers um, embedded with uh, Iraqi units, with the Kurds especially, directing airstrikes onto uh, ISIL positions. Complicated work. It takes a lot of training. Uh, the United States and, again, Western Special Operations Forces are the ones that really need to do that. Um, although some of the Iraqi counterterrorism units, which are really going to uh, under, from what we understand, they're going to take the lead into Mosul when it gets into the, the core of the city. Uh, they could do it a little bit as well. They're very good soldiers. Um, but, the, but the real issue that I was sort of focusing on is the importance of the American role in terms of uh, cajoling actors uh, into that, that political dimension, that, that when the battle is won and in the operation of the battle, uh, Shia militias, uh, who unfortunately infect some of the Iraqi army units, uh, are kept out of screwing things up in Sunni uh, communities in Mosul, uh, that the Kurds uh, and the Turks do not get into a conflagration uh, over the new, you know, northern Iraq that would follow, uh, and, and that basically America practices influence in, in, in diplomatic ways, credible diplomatic ways, um, in a way that the Obama administration has been reluctant to do through fear of, you know, whether it be upsetting the Iranians or or genuinely just this this strategic disinterest policy. But um, piece I'm working on today, which is which is an extension is Lebanese politics, what's going on there. Uh, and you really see interestingly there how how in a um, supposedly democratic government, American allies are being fundamentally outmaneuvered um, by the Iranians and the well, the Syrians and the Iranians primarily. Uh, and how that is impacting in a negative way uh, on the st- stability of Lebanon uh, and, um, you know, how it is just an affront, essentially, to the notion that President Obama's strategic disinterest policy is anything uh, other than delusional. I wanted to give you a, uh, a, a this was from Walter Russell Mead. Uh, I wanted you to react to a quote that I saw from him recently that I thought was particularly uh, particularly apt that, that sort of describes the entirety of his, uh, of his foreign policy as it's playing out in Iraq and elsewhere. This is from uh, Walter Russell Mead in the American Interest. Obama's tortuous efforts to balance a commitment to human rights and the niceties of American liberal ideology with a strong policy in defense of basic American security interests have made the world less safe for both human rights and for American security. Obama's foreign policy is making the world safer for people who despise and trample on the very values that Obama hoped his presidency would advance. His lack of strategic insight and his inability to grasp the the dynamics of world power politics have opened the door to a new generation of authoritarian figures in alliance with hostile great powers. Unintentionally and with the best of intentions, he has opened the doors to the demons of hell, and the darkest forces in the human spirit have much greater scope and much more power today than they did when Obama took the oath of office back in 2009. 
What if, yeah, what you... he's right. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I mean, look, he's I, I, the first very first piece I did for National Review, I just tweeted out all my uh, my link page for uh, I have a list page for it. But I did the whole. It was the American choice in international affairs. The idea that absent American uh, leadership, and and that means leadership that learns the lessons of the Bush administration as well as the Obama administration. I don't, you know, it's not. I'm not on some neocon you know rant in this. Um, but but a realist foreign policy that is built upon American credibility and perceived strength uh, and, and willingness to prioritize issues uh, produces a more stable world. Uh, and, you know, all you need to do is ask people, do they feel the world is more stable and secure in American interests advancing either in a short term, medium term or longer term, uh, longer term sense? Uh, do they feel that that is happening in a better position today? than it was when President Obama took office. I think very few people would say that it, that it is happening. And, and so that's the, you know, sometimes perception speaks to reality. And, and, and in this case, it does. You just, the, the, the role of the United States, it, it's also, it's not just about what we do. It's what, it's what we do and how that influences what other people do, right? Where the United States leads other countries, the Sunni Arab monarchies, more willing to listen and stop funding terrorists, the Europeans, are more willing to roll the dice. You see what's happening, for example, uh, at the moment in, in the European Union. Uh, President Obama has been very reluctant to really strongly condemn the Russians for the slaughter strategy uh, around Aleppo and Idlib. Uh, and the European Union, you know, the British and the French are trying to push for, uh, well, more the British, but trying to push for sanctions on Russia. Uh, the Italians are blocking it. The Italians, just last week, President Obama was fawning over at the White House. Um, Renzi, the prime minister of Italy, uh, plays these sort of half suck up, half pretending he's a strong ally games uh, with with the Russians. And, and it's, you know, we don't impose expectations and reliability, right? It's that, it's we that do not. We certainly do not. Tom, I'll have you back to continue this conversation. Yeah. We'll definitely do a sort of postmortem of Obama administration foreign policy with you yeah. once we know who the next commander in chief is. And we is. need to get Schindler on as well. We need to hear Yeah, we, 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 the, the Rogan Schindler Buck uh, three way conversation is going to happen. We'll make that happen. Tom Rogan yeah, right. is a writer at uh, National Review. Check out his latest at nationalreview.com. Follow him on Twitter. Tom, great to have you. And team, we'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. Team, we went a little long with Tom there, so this is going to be a short one before we go into the break at the top of the hour, but we've got a lot coming up in the third hour. We're going to be discussing the revelations in WikiLeaks that Obama knew about Hillary's email server, and they knew this was a problem, and Obama lied about this. Uh, We'll also talk about how the media is a Praetorian guard for Hillary uh, with more details on that. We already know that. We'll get into some uh, some more of the latest on that. And plus your calls and whatever else comes our way, we'll hit. You know what, guys? Maybe I'm just going to maybe I'm just gonna be wild today. You know what I'm going to do in the break? Maybe I'm just going to throw in a little Nickelback and just rock out in here in the Freedom Hut. No one can stop me. That's right. Maybe I'll give Nickelback a shot. You know, that's how crazy the, that's how crazy the world is right now. Selection is driving me insane. So I'm going to listen to uh, that Canadian band that everyone likes to make fun of. Third hour coming up. Back in just a few minutes. 
You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, welcome to our three. We are joined now by Ed Klein. He's a number one New York Times bestselling author, and his latest is Guilty is Sin, uh, a Sin Uncovering New Evidence of Corruption and How Hillary Clinton and the Democrats Derailed the FBI Investigation. Ed, great to have you back. Buck, it's great to be with you. It's been too long. I love being on your show. Thank you very much, sir. We love having you. So please tell me a bit about how you feel about your colleagues in the media right now. I mean, you're somebody who was, what, you were editor of New York Times Magazine. And so you, you know all these media types, mainstream media types, and they're just getting caught colluding with the Clinton campaign. Well, you know, I was watching Fox News last night, and... Um Newt Gingrich was on <clears throat> with Megyn Kelly, and Newt said, you know, you guys in the media, and he was including her, um, spend endless time talking about Donald Trump's alleged women um, harassers, people he, he's allegedly harassed, probably in almost all those cases it's just made up, and almost no time at all on the WikiLeaks, which proved beyond a shadow of a doubt, uh, although Newt didn't say this, that my book, Guilty as Sin, is absolutely true. And she, you know, she, Megan, said, oh, no, no, I've been, I've, I've covered both sides. And he said, you know, you, you just haven't. And they went into a big, big fight about this. So even at, what my whole point is, even at Fox News, the media is stacked against Donald Trump. This is no longer a media. This is a, something else. This is a, a Pravda, it's Vestia. It's, it's a, you know, like a state-run uh, propaganda organ. I'm we actually have that clip, Fox. by the way. You mentioned the exchange. Ed, why don't I just play a, a quick excerpt of it so everybody can hear what we're talking about. This is from Fox sure. News. Newt Gingrich and Megyn Kelly go, uh, you know, getting into it. the tapes of your show recently? You are fascinated with sex, and you don't care about public policy. Me? Well, that's really? what I get out of watching you tonight. <laughs> you know what, Mr. Speaker, I'm not fascinated by sex, but I am fascinated by the protection of women and understanding okay. what we're getting in the Oval Office. And I think the okay. American voters would like and to know. And therefore, we're going to send Bill Clinton back to the East Wing because, after all, you are worried about sexual predators. Are, are, is, is this reflective, Ed, of uh, conversations that are happening even at generally not leftist outlets, obviously Fox is, is a more conservative leaning. Uh, is this happening right. all over the place right now, these sorts of fights? I think so, because I think finally, you know, it's no, it's no secret to the American public that the media isn't the media anymore. I mean, it's something else. I left the New York Times 30 years ago. That's a long time ago. When I was there, I've written about this in my blog, edwardkline.com. <clears throat> the executive editor of the paper was a guy named Abe Rosenthal. 
And Abe had a saying. He said, uh, you can cover the circus if you'd like, but then if you do, you can't sleep with the elephants. Meaning that you can't befriend, you can't befriend and be intimate with the people that you cover. And the fact of the matter is that today's journalists, if you want to call them that, and I would include a lot of people everywhere, including at Fox, are friends with the very people that they're covering in the Clinton administration. They're not friends with the the uh, Trump people, but they're they're pal they pal around with. <clears throat> Robbie Mook, who's the campaign manager, and Podesta, and that whole crowd of people who call, who are on the phone, by the way, to them, round the clock, giving them talking points. It is no longer you can, you can no longer get your information that way. You have to get it from radio talk show hosts like you, Buck, and hopefully most of the time for Fox News. And maybe Newsmax also. And I'm unsurprised to see, and this is on edwardkline.com on your site, that the, uh, the the people that talk about books, that push books, that you know, give us all a sense of how books are doing on the lists, uh, they're not showing as much love to guilty as sin as one would think they should based on the way it's doing. That's right. It's number six on the New York Times bestseller list. But according to my publisher, Regnery, uh, the numbers, the actual numbers, um, indicate that I should be like three or four. But the Times, you know, suppresses books that it doesn't like, always has, uh, and up to a point where it can't, you know, ignore them. But a, you don't get a fair shake at the New York Times book review for conservative books. But then conservatives are not getting a fair shake in anything in communication. That goes for movies that we see that are all politically correct. And, you know, it's all about the downtrodden and the poor put upon people of this world. And anybody who happens to be doing well is a villain or television, the same thing, books, um, just a music, you, you name it. And as Donald says, the systems are rigged. What do you think about the WikiLeaks? Uh, the, you know, there's so many of these different stories that have come out now, but it seems quite clear, based on some of what has been released by WikiLeaks, that President Obama knew about Hillary's server, which raises already a bunch of... He, he thought that this was normal and fine. I mean, anybody anybody with a, even a passing familiarity with uh, cybersecurity and the practices of, of high government officials would kind of look at this strangely. Apart from that, though, Obama went on TV, as he has with many other things, and specifically said that he learned about this through news reports. He lied to the American people about this. Does, is anyone going to care? Does this? Are there, will there be any consequences for this of any kind, Ed? There should be, and it raises a question in my mind about James Comey, the director of the FBI, because he surely knew, as did all the people who were investigating Hillary's unsecure email system, that she was communicating with the president of the United States on an unsecure email system and that the president knew about it and didn't stop it. So if he had indicted her, which he should have done because she clearly was criminal in according to the federal statutes, what does that say about what about the 
complicity of the president of the United States not having stopped her, but allowed her to go on and jeopardize American security and and uh, and and put American lives at stake. It is it is breathtaking. And to answer your question, <clears throat> I don't see anybody saying, "Hey," except maybe Fox News and, and shows like yours. Hey, uh, this president should be held accountable, but. It, will he be? No, I don't think so. It, would, would you agree with the premise that at this point there is almost nothing that is feasible that one could come up with that would be in Hillary's emails that would make a, a, a sizable portion of her supporters change their minds? I, I feel like it, on the issues of corruption or classification, even if it was as smoking, if the gun was smoking like a howitzer, I mean, it, it would not matter. People would still say, I'm ready. I, you know, I'm with her. I'm voting for Hillary Clinton. I mean, that's how sort of polarized and really ossified the political debate has become. I agree. I totally agree that they they know in their heart of hearts, because I know these liberal people that you're talking about. I live in Manhattan, New York City, uh, in the middle of uh, this media empire that you're talking about. I know these people very well. And they're not stupid. They know they know that. um that the WikiLeaks goes on to prove what I proved in my book, Guilty of Sin, that she is, in fact, um, a person who has put her own ambitions ahead of American security, to put it mildly, that she's a liar, that she's not trustworthy, that she has been engaging in cover-ups from virtually the second she entered public life back in 1974 in Arkansas until this very moment. And yet they know all this, and yet they're ready to uh, uh, turn a blind eye to it. And um, because they think that they are pious, pious, they're better than everybody else. They're, They're on the side of the angels, you know, the Democrats. They think that they're good people, and everybody who disagrees with them are bad people like you and me, which, you know, I don't think we think, conservatives, that liberals are necessarily bad people. We think that they're misguided and that they've done a lot of damage. But we don't think that they're evil. But they they think everybody who doesn't agree with them is evil. Yeah, and so therefore anything they do to help Hillary is inherently justified, even if it includes justified lying, by the, with yeah, her, the whatever the case Justified by the means. On the, exactly. on the point, by the way, that Trump made that uh, now it's sort of become a meme unto itself, that Hillary is a nasty woman. Uh, isn't that something that you've sort of covered in the past, uh, that she's not a nice person, from what I understand, based on some of the books you've written? Well, you're absolutely correct. In, in Guilty of Sin, I point this out many times, and it's very interesting, that the difference between the Hillary you see in public, smiling, smugly, uh, maybe even smirking at times, Hillary, and the Hillary in private who's often screaming at people, throwing things at people, uh, literally uh, grabbing people by the arm and twisting their arms, using using the worst kind of language you could possibly imagine um every other word is uh, a curse word and how does this how does the secret service feel about else? her by the way i want to ask you about that too they 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 hate the whole assignment and and they <clears throat> try to
try to get out of it because being assigned to Hillary Clinton is the worst assignment in the whole Secret Service because she treats them like dirt. And yet somehow we are to believe that she is so much, uh, so much more moral and such a better option than the Republican yeah, nominee exactly. with all this stuff. Right, right. It's depressing, Ed, but people should know the truth, and you've got the truth in your book, Guilty as Sin, which is out now. It is, Ed Klein is a number one New York Times bestselling author. You should uh, get Guilty as Sin on Amazon or in fine bookstores near you. Ed, thank you very much for coming on. Great to have thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great a pleasure. Hope we can do it again soon. Absolutely, sir. Thank you. Uh, going to a break. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show only on the Blaze Radio Network. Let's take Bob in Massachusetts. What's up, Bob? Yeah. Hey. Hello. Yes. Hey, Bob. What's going on? You're on air. Yeah. I'm. I'm glad to hear you. Uh, so I had. I have a um, an algorithm for your on the fence listeners. Sure. Uh, that you could put as far as whether to write in your favorite candidate or vote for Ed McMullen or whatever. So here's, here's the algorithm. I, I, I have two degrees from MIT, so the logic here is pretty solid. Nice. And that is that, number one, if you write in a candidate, the only thing that happens is you get practice in your penmanship in most cases. Because unless the number of write-in candidates, all total, are greater than the highest vote-getter, the write-in candidates aren't even counted. So unless you're going to vote for somebody who is likely to win, you're just never going to, you know, whatever you do isn't going to count for anything. So that's not a good strategy. Uh, If you happen to live in a state where the third-party candidate could possibly beat both Hillary and Trump, then that's a good thing to do. You might actually do some good. You, you would keep electoral votes from going to either Hillary or Trump. But if you don't live in one of those states, then the only, th- the only real... Um, thing you can do if you really don't like both candidates is to vote for the one that is the easiest to impeach. Who, who if, go, if, the, if the person goes rogue, then you vote for the one that is the easiest to impeach. And I would claim that would be Trump, because he has no accolades in Congress. He has no support in Congress. The American people probably wouldn't support him if he really was went rogue and started going anti-constitutional. And uh, on the other hand, Hillary has oodles of support in Congress, and the Clinton Foundation has probably paid off most of the Democrats and probably a good chunk of the Republicans, and she's not going to get impeached. 
So the only right the only right thing to do is vote for the person who is most easily impeached. Which Bob, what are your MIT degrees in, if I may ask? Uh, computer science, mechanical engineering. Wow. Impressive stuff, dude. So, All right. Uh, well, your theory is interesting, but uh, your resume is fascinating. Thank you for calling in, Bob, from Massachusetts. <laughs> good, to, good to talk to you, sir. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Shields high. Um, yeah, people are good at math. I always find impressive. So uh, let's talk a bit about Obamacare for a second, because why not? What's up, Obamacare? We missed you. Not really, because you're the worst. Uh, is, is this Gruber? Who's the Obamacare architect in the rising premiums? Is that Gruber, John? Do we know? Let's just play it. This is, yeah, whatever. Obamacare architect on rising premiums. It's not a big increase. Play clip five. For those people who are getting insured on the exchanges, uh, that 22% price rise is for the premium, but 83% of them get subsidies. And for those people who are getting subsidies, the vast majority of people, there will be no real change in their premiums because they get subsidies, and the subsidies are linked to the premium increases. But so, Dr. in fact, Randall, for most people, it's not so a big confusing. It's, it's not a big increase. Let me make let me make a second point, which is that for the vast majority of Americans since 2010 and passage of the ACA, health insurance premiums increase have moderated substantially such that compared to what they were under Bush, they're actually saving money. OK, so a couple of things. Yeah, that's Dr. Emanuel. That's Rahm Emanuel's brother uh, who was involved. In, it wasn't it wasn't Gruber. I guess they've they've put they've told Gruber you got to stay out of the public spotlight after his whole you know, because transparency is in a you know disadvantage. Public, you know that guy. Uh, you know the stupidity of the American voter. That guy. But uh, Doctor Emanuel saying that because people get subsidies, the increase in Obamacare premiums is not such a big deal. But understand that we're paying for the subsidies. So if the costs or if the subsidies, yeah, the subsidies defray the cost for the individuals in the individual market. Uh, but when those when the premiums are, are getting higher and higher, it just means that more and more money has to be funneled into the system. right? So th- this is, again, this is the sort of three-card Monty game. This is the shell game that they play where they're trying to make – they're always trying to prop this thing up, and they're, they're hiding the reality of it from people for very obvious reasons. Although now you do hear Obama, original Obamacare defenders who said that this as a path to single payer, that that was some sort of uh, a vicious lie about the program – now, some of those same people are like, yeah, it's, you know, it was meant to fail so we could get single pair. There's so much lying, so much lying going on in our politics and so very little in accountability for it. It seems like people just don't care anymore. As long as their guy or their girl is doing the lying for their team, it's all OK. Um, and we're just at a point now where we are inundated with it all the time whether it's Obamacare or immigration or any number of things that one can point to in the election right now. Uh, Hey, did I tell you that they're not going to take the reenlistment bonuses back from the military guys who got them and men and women in uniform who got them to go back to Iraq and Afghanistan? So there's that. We've got that going for us as a country, which is nice. It's like the first good decision I've seen the government make in quite a while. Uh, it's the the first major news story I can point to in weeks where I'm like, well, we got this one right for now, it seems. So I'm just bringing that one up just to just get everybody a little like, ooh, okay, good things can happen. It's not all that bad. 
888-900-3393. Whatever you want to talk about, team. Wide open. Light up those lines. Back right after this break. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton Show. Nora in Minnesota, you're on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Thank you so much. I needed to get this word out. Um, they keep talking subsidies, and I need to warn people that have small businesses or property like us farmers. Um, in Minnesota, under Minsure, if you ended up having to take the policy with a subsidy, they put a forever lien on your property that they didn't tell you about when they when you sign up. And you're not able to go back and pay off this lien. It is put onto your estate. Now, that doesn't sound so bad because you're dead and gone then, but if you need a loan to expand your business or anything else, once you have that lien on, you can't do anything with your business. And so my concern is they act like this is free candy, but... If you own a business and you take these subsidies, if it works like it did under Minsure, you will never be able to expand or do anything with your business and you won't be able to pass it on to your children. There will be a lien. And so far we haven't figured out if they're going to charge interest on the lien that we can't pay back until it comes up in your estate. So I haven't been able to research if the Affordable Care Act actually does that. But seeing as Minnesota has always been the testing state for progressive policy, it would not surprise me at all. So if somebody has time to do this, it's not harvesting, uh, please look it up before you take these subsidies. Wait, so you're saying if, if you take Obamacare subsidies, can you just give me the the, the, the sort of quick overview of this again? How does, it, how does it work? You're saying that you get, you get the subsidies, and then what's the problem with the subsidies? They put a lien on your property. If they find out that you have assets, Oh, I see. If, if, if you get the subsidy and then the subsidy they they find is in error for some reason, then you have a problem. No, no. Even even the people that um, the people I know are farmers. So, like for a quarter or two, their income fell below, and they had to still provide health insurance. So they went on. They were told this is the only policy they qualified for. They needed to sign up under this policy, and then later on, um, when they were able to. Uh, when they got bumped off because they were making too much and et cetera, then there are liens put on the property. They didn't tell anybody that there were going to be liens put on their property, but that is so that you pay back that subsidy because now you're considered to have the means, or at least you're, if you don't have the working capital right now, the cash, that your estate will have the means to pay back the subsidies that you were given. Hmm. Uh, how do you find all this out? I was I was unaware. Of it. I haven't heard anyone talking about this. Um, I I don't know that Obamacare nationally does this, but it happened in Minnesota. So if you talk to anybody in Minnesota, and the legislators had legislators had made a way to get that changed, but then that got vetoed with everything else that Dayton vetoed. So it hasn't been changed yet. But just look up the case study of Minsure and what happened to a private small business owners and farmers to find out they put liens on. And once there's a lien on, they they won't even allow you to pay it back right now 
it goes on to your estate. And then the problem is, is you cannot get a loan to do anything, to expand your business or anything, because you have a lien on your estate, on your business. Huh. All right. Well, Nora, thank you very much for uh, for bringing this to our attention. I was I was not familiar with this, and we will look into it. Uh, appreciate that. So uh, this is I, I told you that the government made the the proper decision, in, in my estimation, I'm sure in yours as well, of not uh, pursuing pay that they gave to people for re-enlistment bonuses from a decade ago. Because, look, people would say, oh, but Buck, that money's owed to the government. And I don't think any of you are going to say that, but some people might say that. And I would respond, look, it's it's been so long. I mean, there's like a statute of limitations on all kinds of things, and there should be a statute of limitations on a re-enlistment bonus from the, you know, for the military. Uh, and meaning that, you know, once people have spent this money and fi- and cre- been living with, within their finances as though this money were theirs to come come back you know a decade later and say hey you need to give us 15 grand i mean ouch sorry not not okay so i'm glad they made that that's a good move now we get to talk about the uh, other side of government which is i'm sure not going to uh, give any of us a warm and fuzzy feeling about this but it is what it is, as they say. Um, this is from the Hill.com. Federal government employees uh, gave $2 million from 14 agencies on presiden- presidential politics uh, by the end of September of this year. 95% of it, 95% of donations this presidential cycle went to, drumroll, Hillary Clinton. 95%. You know, I sit here and I talk to you sometimes about how the Democrats are the party of the state, how statism is self-reinforcing, how they now, you know, government will only continuously expand because you have a party in power that is not only pro-big government, but is actually in control of the government apparatus itself and is symbiotic with it, right? They help each other out. 95% of federal employees. Um Look, the CIA was much more Democrat heavy and we never talked about it, but I could tell. Right. I could based on the sort of sneering comments people would make about the Bush administration or whatever. You just would know. Uh, I felt the CIA was much more Democrat heavy than I would have anticipated uh, before being there. A lot of the other I mean, you, you can imagine what like housing and urban development and, uh, you know, uh, Department of Interior. I mean, I'm assuming they're just full of uh, leftist Dems. Uh, never mind the uh, parts of the DOJ, like the Civil Rights Division, among others. And this is a very this is a very big issue. It's a very big problem because these government agencies have discretion in any number of things, whether it's the IRS, the DOJ, uh, you name it. They have discretion in how they enforce regulations. They have discretion in how they enforce laws and in how they implement policies. That's just the nature of the beast, right? And this is a very large, very expensive beast that all of us are paying for all the time. And when you see something like this with 95%, uh, meaning that the, the amount of donation, the, the number of people who are giving money to Trump who work for the federal government based on this study that the Hill.com has published is negligible. And how could that not be reflected in the way that these agencies operate and conduct themselves? Of course, there are going to be consequences for that kind of thing. Of course, when we look at how the federal government operates, the fact that it is so deeply and overwhelmingly Democrat is going to mean that there are changes in policy, that there are changes in how uh, 
all of this stuff functions and works. Um, I know this isn't surprising, but now we have numbers. I mean, I, I've been saying this to you for a while, but now we can talk about it in terms of actual specifics. I mean, what when we say that the federal government is is effectively an organ of the Democratic Party, what exactly do we mean by that? Well, it means that when federal employees have the option of supporting one side or the other, they go Democrat, but it also means that that must be reflected in their view of their own jobs, uh, of their role. That's this is this is a problem. I mean, this is the fourth branch of government, which is the bureaucracy, is now just deep, deep blue. It is solid Democrat territory, and it's more powerful than it's ever been before. And is always trying to get more power for itself too. It's you know when was the last time you had some federal agency be like, oh no no we don't want we don't want that to be under our purview or hey that budget's too big for us we don't need that we need to get rid of that. I don't think that has happened in in my recent memory, and we shouldn't expect it to. We we shouldn't think that that would happen because the reality is that the Democrats are entrenched now. They run these agencies. And so every time you sit down and you are across from an FBI agent, an IRS agent, although the FBI, I would think, I'm just guessing, I would think is less solidly blue than other places. Although I, I would bet that the Democrat, I mean, the uh, people that make it all the way up to the top of the bureaucracy, just by way of mentality and character, are going to tend to tend to be Democrats. Because to succeed in these organizations, you have to take a very sort of, oh, what's good for the collective? And there's not a lot of individualism that is uh, that is rewarded when you're talking about a large federal bureaucracy. It's not like they're constantly looking for somebody who's breaking the mold and doing things their own way, uh, you know, which tend to be more conservative traits. So you can expect that at the top of even the FBI, and I think we've seen that now, uh, with the actions of the FBI over the last 12 months, you're going to have a whole lot of Democrats. But this is uh, you've got 90 plus percent of the media is on the Hillary train. 90 plus percent of these federal of 14 federal agencies uh, gave money to Hillary Clinton instead of Donald Trump or not Donald Trump. And we start to now look at this. And is it wrong to say that it feels like it is a rigged game? And I know that that can be used too broadly, and I've said that. And we should just run around saying, it's rigged, it's rigged, and, and not give any specifics or examples or anything else. But it is a rigged game, isn't it? It is a game that is not a level playing field. And in some of the most important possible places, when we're talking about things like uh, the way the government itself functions, we're talking about the judiciary, prosecutors' offices, major media outlets, uh, you know, both the sort of the creators of perception and the enforcers of law. They're Democrats at the federal level and at the na- at the national level and media and at the federal level uh, of the government. These are Democrat controlled institutions. You know, I even think of it in my in my own career. And I, I sometimes when I'm in a whiny mood, which I try not to be when I'm on radio with all of you guys, but occasionally it happens. Sorry. Uh, how much easier life would be to just to just go along, just be one of them. Yeah, I'm a Democrat. Yeah, I love, you know, transgender rights. You know, it's let's talk more about like women's issues that 
whatever. And I just immig- immigrants are amazing. They do the jobs Americans won't do. I love illegal immigrants. Let's pay for all of them. Let's bring them all here. What else could I say? I mean, yeah, rich people need to pay their fair share. The super rich won't. But by rich, we basically mean like upper middle class and small business owners like they need to get soaked even more. Yeah. Yeah, I know the script, right? I could sit here and give you just all the talking. Words. It'd be kind of fun, actually, one day if I could put on a like a hipster wig and maybe maybe have some ironic facial hair and go on MSNBC and, and pretend to be uh, you know, a reporter from Salon.com or something. Because I, I know what they're going to say all the time. I get it. You know, Democrats, yeah, the party of, you know, we're, we're just all about, we love minorities and, you know, we, we do all this stuff for minority groups all the time. And there's so many more places to go, so many more organizations that will give you a paycheck, that will build your career, will do all that sort of stuff. And this has downstream effects across the board. You see, again, conservatives, a lot of the time, I think, have the mentality where they just want to do their own thing and be left out of this. This is why a lot of you tell me right now, like, oh, I can't take the politics. I'm like, guys. I mean, we're two weeks from an election. I, I, I can't. There's no. There's no news. I mean, I'm doing a news talk radio show. Unless you want me to just tell tell stories from like my college years or something, which some of which would be mildly entertaining. But uh, you know, I, I don't know if three hours of that would be a worthwhile show. But I understand the conservative mentality of disengaging from all of this because you're really most concerned with your own character, your own morality, your family. You know, the ecosystem of your day to day life. That's what matters to a conservative. You know, leftists, liberals, as they call themselves, are just sort of busybodies. And they like to think that their ideas are so good that everybody else has to abide by them and live by them, too. And now we see that those leftist busybodies are all across the rungs of the federal government. And a federal government that is increasingly intrusive, that has access to more data about its citizens than at any point in history, a federal government that seems like it is unrestrained by anything other than its own whims, that is left to police itself even when it violates its most sacred rules, uh, whether we're talking about the IRS targeting or national security investigation by the FBI into Hillary's emails. This is where we are now. I don't know how we turn it around. I don't know how you, you make the federal government a place where people go to serve and who are also cynical about government power instead of constantly wanting to sort of instrumentalize for their own purposes government power to not just push their agencies' uh, agendas, but push their own ideological agendas as well. This is happening all over the place. It has enormous ramifications uh, for the country, regardless of who wins the election. And it's, it's really distressing. You know, any one of us, you know, if you're an open conservative and you have to have a sit down with an AUSA for some reason, you know, heaven help you, because there's a nine out of 10 chance that that person thinks that you stand for things that are bad. And if they can make an example out of you, they will. It's all partisan. It's all political. It's pretty gross when you think about it that way. Um, I'm going to go, like, visit an animal shelter today and play with some puppies or something. That's what I'm going to do. I, I got to get that plan going because otherwise, too much. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. The Buck Sexton Show. There were some concerns that uh, Justin Timberlake, who was uh, 
back in Memphis, Tennessee, voting when he took a selfie encouraging others to vote. There was some concern that he broke the law. Ooh, breaking the law, Justin Timberlake. Um, but he did not break the law. Uh, or or at least they're not investigating. Maybe he did break the law, I don't know. But they've come out and said that, in fact, uh, they're, not, they're not. The Shelby County District Attorney General has said that uh, no one in the office is investigating the matter. So all of you Timberlake fans out there, don't worry. He's not going to have to pay a fine for a misdemeanor or something for a voting booth selfie. Um, who knew that could be? Against, I actually wouldn't have known that was against the law. I, I could see myself. No, it's a little annoying and grandstanding, I think. But uh, theoretically, I might take a voting booth selfie and something like that. That could happen, I suppose. Um, team, that's pretty much it for today. Tomorrow, back with more. I'll try to cover a variety of topics so we don't just get stuck in the Horse race, poll versus poll, election craziness. We'll do a little bit of that just so we're all up to speed, but there'll be some other stuff too. Uh, As always, uh, if you wouldn't mind, download today's podcast, share it with a friend or two. Until tomorrow, team, shield time. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.